Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Scoopy Scoopy Radio. On the plane. On the train on a treadmill, everywhere you want to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoop B. Instagram, Scoop underscore B. Snapchat, Scoop number, ooh, excuse me, Snapchat, Scoop underscore B. And make sure to subscribe to the Scoop B Radio podcast, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, or simply by visiting ScoopBRadio.com. And on the line right now is uh, my man Pots and Pans all the way out in the warm streets of Florida. Uh, None other than uh, Hoops Hype writer, Alex Kennedy. Alex, welcome to Scoopy Radio, man. Hey, what's up, man? Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah, man, this is like the continuation. We we got some time to sit down and during All-Star Weekend and, and shoot the breeze, and you're like the perfect candidate to talk hoops for real. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, we got like an hour, you know, two hours talking off, off air. So then mm-hmm. uh, we figured, you know, might as well record some of this and, uh, and be able to make it a podcast. So uh, it was cool to make fun of it. You know, you've been doing a great job. It's been fun watching, you know, your career and your trajectory. You've been doing some great work. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Of course. And for those who are listening to Scoopy Radio, this is part two. Uh, of the interview dropping today, or the podcast interviews dropping today. First interview was uh, ESPN Insider, Ramona Shelburne talking Lakers, talking Clippers, talking everything in between. And part two was Alex Kennedy. And Alex, one thing that I find great about your story is when I first started hearing about you, um, I was hearing your story about you being a young kid. Me and you both had that in common, you being interested in basketball and being a, a kid reporter in the Orlando area. Tell me about your early beginnings of, of just uh, being a journalist and, and, and knowing what your passion was. Yeah, so I started really early on. I have a really weird kind of journey uh, in this industry. Uh, early on, I fell in love with message boards, and I was always on a long time with other basketball fans, you know, on forums and things like that. So, uh, you know, I was the kid that was basically, you know, typing up 1,000 words posts and spending way too much time on message boards. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, basically back then I was doing it as a hobby. I was watching every basketball game I was on TV. 
you know, I was watching uh, round prospects and things like that. I was taking them way too seriously for a 13-year-old. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, you know, it was my passion. And uh, really, really high, I decided I wanted to be able to have a career where it never really felt like I was working, where every day I was excited to get up and, you know, do my job, and it didn't feel like work. So when I was 14 years old, I started, uh, you know, I basically, I went from writing for message boards and forums and things like that, uh, to reaching mm-hmm. out to a different website. Yeah, I reached out to realgm.com and said, look, you know, I've been writing for a while now. Here's the articles I've written for some of the different message boards because some of the uh, different message boards and forums that I've been writing for, they have writing teams and, you know, some articles like on their front page and things like that. So I sent over some copies of my uh, articles to realgm and, uh, and look, I was, I was sad at the time. You know, I was talking about those old articles that I couldn't. And, uh, but they were, they were super supportive and said, look, We'll work with you. We'll give you an editor. We'll help you out. So uh, when I was 14 years old, I started writing for Real DM. And then uh, after a few months of writing for Real DM, there was actually another writer at Real DM who put in a credential request to cover a Golden State Warriors practice. And this was back when, you know, the Warriors were the laughing stock of the NBA. And I'll never forget, it was an interview with Speedy Claxton uh, that was on that uh, the writer did. He got a one-on-one interview with Speedy Claxton. And I'm just sitting there reading the interview, and I'm thinking, you know, this guy writes for the same exact outlet that I'm writing for. He's getting an interview this player one-on-one. You know, why couldn't I do that? So I got really excited and uh, and really started looking into just how that all works. You know, again, I'm 14 years old. I don't really understand journalism and the whole industry and all that. Well, I ended up finding the uh, email address for the Orlando Magic PR director and some of the other Magic PR people, and uh, I basically just sent them a cold email, you know, out of nowhere saying, look, I'm 14 years old. Uh, I want to know if this is something I want to do for a career. I would love to try to kind of, uh, you know, come cover a practice or shoot around the game, whatever you guys want to do, to see if this is something I want to pursue and to be able to learn and, and kind of uh, just get that experience. And, uh, you know, at the time, the idea of going to a basketball game for free was cool enough for me. You know, 14 years old, you know, not having to buy tickets, that was like the dream. Much less than being able to go to the locker room with hockey players. And then later on, I'm finding out this is actually a career that you get paid for. Like, it, just, it, it was mind blowing to me at the time. So, the Magic PR people, they were fantastic. Uh, Joel Glass was actually still in Orlando as the uh, PR director, and Jason Wallace, who was, uh, was underneath of Joel at, at the time, and now he works with the Memphis Grizzlies. They were both super supportive, and, and they actually really covered games. They said, you know, hey, if there's ever games where it's a small market team coming through and we have extra spending, or if it's, a, you know, a real night in the schedule, like, you know, uh, if there was a game on Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving where a lot of the other media members didn't want to come out and cover the game, they would reach out to me and say, hey, you want to come cover this game? Uh, all you have to do is bring a chaperone. And uh, so my dad... Literally had to come and be my chaperone at Orlando Magic games uh, when I was uh, covering them early on because I was 14. And so my dad would come, he would get his credentials, he would also have locker room access, he would also have press party access. Um, and it was just, you know, it just feels so weird. At the time, it was surreal. It still sounds fake. It sounds like, you know, like, you know I can't believe that it actually happened. Um, but those first few years, you know, I did that for about a year or two when I was basically covering. Uh, any game I could, bring my dad with me. And, uh, you know, the first few years, I was just trying to kind of soak everything in. I was just trying to watch what other journalists were doing, 
learning from, you know, post-game interviews and seeing how those were conducted um, and just kind of being a fly on the wall. And that was an amazing experience for me. It made me realize that, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I obviously wanted to play in the NBA, but when you're 5'9 and not very athletic, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to do that. I figured, you know, hanging out with the players and writing about it, you know, going to the games, that's that thing. So, um, yeah, I got my foot in the pretty early and then uh, was able to start covering those games. And then, you know, pretty soon the Magic knew who I was. You know, the Magic, you know, people knew who I was. And, um, you know, when I was 16 or 17, And he would say, oh, no, come over here and, and walk me out 
through the players' party line uh, and, and say, hey, you know, we got Kevin in the locker room. You got any questions for me? You got any, you got any interviews for me? So he was basically trying to, you know, raise my confidence and give me that interview experience that I didn't have. I mean, again, this is the guy that when you're Steve Francis and you're an all-star and you're the leading scorer of a team, you know, everyone's trying to get your time and, you know, you, you're being dragged in all these different directions. And, uh, right. and I was, you know, 14 years old at the time. He's not benefiting from this at all. You know, he was just a nice guy. So that I was, uh, you know, very shy and kind of learning. And when I was really make me feel comfortable and gain that experience. So, you know, years later, actually, uh, he pulled up on Twitter randomly. And I reached out to him. And I'm like, hey, man, like, I, I, you know, I want to thank you so much for everything you did earlier in my career. And he didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, hey, I was that 14-year-old kid that you were constantly, you know, helping and, you know, uh, you know, pulling aside for interviews. And he's like, oh, I had no idea. You know, he's like, I just read your work all the time now. And I can't believe that you, you know, just do a fantastic <laughs> job. And he was just super complimentary. And it was just, and I told him, I'm like, you know, I tell everyone this, that you were the nicest guy and you were so helpful to me. And uh, honestly, I do feel like I became a better interviewer. And it also helped me kind of realize that uh, at a young age, these guys are human. You know, these guys are, like, as, as much as people look at NBA players as video game characters or superheroes, you know, these guys are just like you and I, they're human. Uh, you know, my experience was kind of humanized uh, players for me. And, uh, and that was a big thing for me, too, kind of, uh, you know, being able to have those interactions. It just informed so much of what I did afterwards and helped me as an interviewer. So, shout out to Steve Francis. He was super helpful. And Grant Hill was another guy that was a super friendly as well. Yeah, Steve, Steve Francis was that is that dude. Uh, I bumped into him uh, outside at Kenny Smith's party in, in L.A. during All-Star Weekend last year. Super dude, uh, super cool dude. And you said Grant Hill, too, right? Yeah, Grant was amazing, too. You know, he's obviously known as being one of, you know, the guys. You know, it's not a big surprise. Um, but, yeah, I remember, you know, one of the one interviews with Grant where, uh, you know, I had my list of questions written down. Because uh, I was super nervous and wanted to make sure I had everything uh, prepared. You know, I, I basically I, I lived in I lived in Tampa. I grew up in Tampa, so I was I would drive an hour and a half over to Orlando Magic Camp, and on the drive over, I basically write down you know ten questions for every player. Just in case I got a chance to do a little interview with that player, and then uh, yeah, Grant would be a guy that you know he was in the locker room, whether he was coming off the floor from shoot around, he would be like, oh yeah, what's up, man? You know, what do you you know? Do you have any questions for me? You know, these guys just went out of their way to help me. And, uh, you know, I, part of it was because I was, you know, I was a kid and they were being friendly to the young guy in the locker room that uh, obviously had no business being there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, they were, they were, they were you know, it was just something that really stood out to me and I, I really appreciated that. And then, you know, now, you know, I look at it and uh, I, I, I try to, you know, whenever I see young journalists or, you know, people that are trying to grind this industry, I constantly try to reach out and help as well. Because, I mean, I, I think you have to pay it forward. And, you know, I know I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the people in the Magic PR department, if it weren't for some of those players that helped me. Some of those agents are on that, you know, they could have called Woj, they could have called anyone and given them scoops, but, you know, they wanted to help me. And, they wanted, and you know, they saw how hard I was working, so they wanted to reward that. So I, I, I try to pass that on and kind of have the same approach and, younger journalists. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I really do feel like a lot of people really opened doors for me and helped me, and I wouldn't be here today without them. 
Scoopy Radio on the line with Alex Kennedy. Alex, we bumped into each other in Charlotte uh, during All-Star Weekend, and you had the chance of a lifetime to sit down with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, and I spoke to Ramona Shelburne before you about this particular person, current uh, Los Angeles Clippers uh, big man, uh, Ivica, Shu- uh, excuse me, Ivica Zubak. Um, he expressed interest in working with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, on the Skyhook. Your thoughts when Kareem shared that with you? Yeah, I was surprised. So going into the interview, I knew that I wanted to ask Kareem that because the Skyhook obviously is, you know, a legendary shot and it's been so effective. Um, I was wondering why we don't see it more in the NBA today. And I asked Kareem, you know, how many players have reached out to you and wanted to work with you? And I didn't know if it was, you know, Kareem not really wanting to, you know, train guys and put that time in. Or I didn't know why we don't see that more often. But Kareem said only one player has reached out to him, and it was Zubac. And I was very surprised by that. Um, first of all, props to Zubac for, you know, recognizing that that could be a tool for him. Uh, you know, Kareem talked about the shot and said, you know, it's a, it's a high percentage shot. If you do it correctly, you can also draw the fouls, and it becomes a three-point play. So it becomes, you know, it's also into the game, you know, as much as people want to get away from, you know, mid-range shooting and, and things like that in today's game, um, the advanced analytics actually back that shot up because it can be a three-point play. And we know, you know, obviously today in the NBA, it's all about finishing right at the ring game and three-point play. So uh, Kareem was surprised that more players hadn't reached out to him and expressed interest in learning that shot. Um, but yeah, Zubac, I think, first of all, it was the state for Lakers to trade him. I didn't understand that move at all. Mm-hmm. You know, he played really. He played really well. He still has so much upside. Uh, and to trade him for Michael Scala, I just didn't. I wasn't a fan of uh, of that move. Um, you know, he, he's. I think they should have kept him and, and continued to develop him. Um, a lot of the moves that the Lakers have made are very strange. You know, last offseason, not uh, going after shooting, and all of a sudden at the trade deadline, you know, bringing in shooters and saying, "Oh, we should have brought in shooting." Yeah, we know. Everyone was telling you that it's not soft season. There's just a lot of there's a lot of question marks and a lot of red flags when I look at kind of what this final office has done. But um, I, I think uh, I, I give Zubac credit for you know understanding that that could be a really good offensive weapon for him and part of his, you know part of his arsenal. I hope that we see him add that to his game. You know he started to uh, to work on it and uh, and he's reached out to Kareem and they've talked about watching it together and you know maybe doing some training. Um, and I work with to do it too. I think uh, you know if I'm a if I'm a coach, if I'm a big man coach or uh, anything like that, I'm encouraging my big man to reach out to Kareem because clearly he's open to teaching these guys that move. And we've seen in the past, you know, guys like Akeem Olajuwon, they've been open to you know teaching the dream shake and teaching different post moves, uh, and, and it could be very effective. We've seen guys have taken big strides when they put him off season with a great player like that. So. There's no, there's no downside of working with Kareem with George Barr for an offseason and uh, honing your post move. So I hope that guy's there. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for those who are tidy to the party are just tuning in, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar averaged uh, quite a bit of points, 34.8 points per game, 16.6 rebounds. Uh, and I can tell you're a podcaster, Alex, because you beat me to the segue. You talked about Hakeem Olajuwon, and you know the, the Houston Rockets were smart because uh, they locked it down. He he's now a, you know a consultant, some consultancy role with the Rockets, and he's teaching all the footwork and uh, to to players who who were there in Houston. Do you see Hakeem uh, Olajuwon or 
setting that tone. Do you see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar kind of being the new Hakeem Olajuwon and guys are going to start hiring him to teach them footwork? Man, it's, it's possible, but you just have so many things going on. Kareem is such an interesting, complex guy. You know, I think Hakeem always wanted to do something in basketball. Um, you know, he, he's been someone that's been working with players for, you know, over a decade. I remember he was teaching Kobe Bryant posters and footwork years ago. Uh, obviously, he worked with Dwayne Howard whenever Dwayne was in Houston. You know, he's worked with guys that were with the Rockets and then also did his own individual training with guys that weren't associated with the Rockets. So he's always been someone that is willing to get with guys during the offseason and, uh, and help them. Um, with Kareem, you know, he, he writes for these, you know, huge publications. He acts, you know, he was on uh, some different TV sitcoms recently. Uh, he is now a writer for uh, a TV show, Veronica Mars, they're doing a reboot uh, on Hulu. And he was in the writer's room, that thing that we talked about in the podcast, where now, you know, not only is he writing books, he's written, I don't even know how many books he's written, 10 books. I mean, we can still see amount of content the guys pumped out. Uh, he's written so many books, but now he's also doing some television writing, and he uh, wants to continue doing that. So the guy has just so many things going on in his life. So that's you know that's before we get into anything basketball related. He's also very involved with the uh, with the retired players association and trying to you know uh, get players get retired players more opportunities and uh, and exposure and things like that. So he's just such a busy guy. You know, it's possible that we can see him carve out some time to to work with players. Again, I think, uh, you know, I think really what we've seen so far is that he's willing to talk to guys and, and let them kind of pick his brain. I don't think we're ever going to see a situation where it's like a team where, you know, he's training a guy five, six days a week in the gym and they're working together. I think it's more about, you know, just kind of providing some feedback and lessons. Maybe we'll see him do, you know, some little training here and there. Kind of like a Kobe Bryant, you know, every single mm-hmm. he interview guys that he kind of uh, we'll spend some time with or spend, you know, even if it's just a day or two with. You know, we saw that with Jason Tatum. I know in the past, Kobe's worked with, like, Russell Westbrook and Kawhi Leonard. And um, it's, it's always in small doses, you know, one or two days. I can see Jordan doing that. Um, but in terms of doing it, and I, uh, doing it more often, doing it more frequently than that, that's going to be difficult because the guy's schedule is just so crazy because he's just so talented. He's one of the smartest, most interesting people I've ever met. Whenever I found out we were going to have him on the podcast, I was, you know, I started writing out questions and I realized I had, you know, four hours of questions that I can ask this guy because he's just so interesting. Um, you know, he was, you look at, uh, you know, I mentioned his writing and everything. He was also the U.S. global cultural ambassador. You know, he, he had, you know, a role in, uh, in Barack Obama, you know, under Barack Obama, that, that was his role where he was, uh, basically an ambassador of the United States who's going to other countries and, and things like that. I mean, this is a guy that just can do literally anything. If you named a, if you, you could, uh, you could name a position right now or some kind of role, and it wouldn't surprise me if Kareem, you know, took on that role tomorrow. The guy can do anything. So, uh, he's just one of the most talented people on, on and off the court. So, I, I don't know if he's going to do any of that kind of training stuff. He obviously could do it. Um, but the guy's just so busy. And, you know, you, you, you talked about so many things that Kareem has done. You left one thing out. He was on Full House. He was on Full House. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he was on Big Bang Theory. I mean, the guy, he, uh, and obviously we know Airplane, uh, just one of the one of the funniest movies 
the guy, he's done it all. You know, he's a gambler, behind the gambler. Uh, it's just it's amazing what he's been able to accomplish uh, throughout his career. And then also, there's a lot of stuff he's done, you know, from an activist standpoint, too, that people don't, you know, talk about a lot. You know, he's done things that are obviously entrepreneurial and, and creative, like writing and acting and all that. But he's also been, you know, an activist. And um, that's one thing that I'm actually putting out a video tomorrow where I kind of clip a certain segment from our podcast um, where he praises LeBron James and everything he's done from, you know, uh, the work he does in the community, the, what he's done in Akron for many years, starting his school. Um, and, and Kareem said, you know, Luke Chamberlain was someone that he got to know very well, um, you know, years ago. And Will, after he kind of blew up, he kind of said, you know, look, I'm well off. I'm going to do my own thing. And, uh, and just enjoy my money. And he said, LeBron, so he agrees on the same thing. And I believe it's exact, his exact one was, LeBron would go to buy a private island somewhere. And he just said, sorry, but that's not what LeBron is doing. He wants to go back and, um, you know, bring others up with him. And he wants to really make an impact. And Kareem praised that. He said, I have nothing but admiration for that guy. And, uh, and Kareem has kind of done similar things. You know, we've seen that he, I also, you know, filled that activist role as well. So it's been it's been amazing to watch what he's done. Uh, being able to talk to him for 30, 35 minutes, and it was uh, it was an honor. It was surreal, um, and, and he was a fantastic guest too. He was very open and candid, so I really enjoyed talking to him. As Kenny on the line with Scoopy Radio, one thing that I found interesting on your podcast was um, you had Spencer Dinwiddie on of uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, number one, did not know uh, that Spencer scored a fourteen hundred out of sixteen hundred on his SATs. I always knew he was smart, and 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 just you know that kind of confirmed it for me when he told me that, but or he when he told you that. The other thing that I um I wanted to gauge your interest on was um. Spencer talked about free agency this summer. The Brooklyn Nets are having the time of their life. Uh, they're playing well this season. Deanna plays D'Angelo Russell and their bench. Um, based upon Spencer's conversation on your podcast, did you kind of get a gauge on Jimmy Butler? Do you do you personally think that Jimmy Butler would be a good fit in Brooklyn? Yeah, you know, I, I think with Jimmy Butler, anytime you bring in him, people wonder if he's going to impact a lot of negatively. There have been, you know, obviously a lot of talk about, you know, in Chicago, you know, some issues with, you know, some of the younger players, other John Rondo, who's that, you know, kind of spilled over on Instagram. Um, in Minnesota, you had issues with uh, Wiggins and Towns. Um, and then even now in Philly, there have been reports where, you know, he and Brett Brown kind of got into it. And uh, there's been talk about how his, you know, play and touches have impacted Joel Embiid and, uh, Butler is an interesting guy because he's someone that uh, is obviously such a great player on both ends of the floor and makes the team better. But then you do have to keep some of those uh, those things in mind. You know, he's a guy that's going to demand greatness from everyone and really push others. And the way I kind of I, I describe it like this: you know, Kobe Bryant, uh, he was someone that held everyone accountable. He was going to scream at you, he was going to grab your jersey and yell at you, and he was going to push you. And he could do that because he had so many championships. Someone like Jimmy Butler, the problem for him is that he tries to have that same mentality and, you know, it's all about winning to him. But when you don't have the championships to back it up, sometimes that can fall on deaf ears. Or, you know, a guy like Embiid or a town will say, you know, who are you to at me like this and, you know, get on me like that uh, when, you know, what, what have you done, essentially? So I think that's one thing that 
Uh, you know, you have to have those rings and that pedigree to be able to uh, carry yourself that way. Um, you know, it's the same with Greg Popovich you know, versus some of these other coaches. Greg Popovich can do whatever he wants and, you know, yell at the media, be <laughs> short with the media. And, you know, there's certain things that he's afforded because he's Greg Popovich. Other people try to do that, and all of a sudden you're the villain, and it's really hard to keep your job. So it really depends. I think Butler wants to do the right thing. I think he wants to be a winner. I think he thinks he's leading the right way uh, and holding guys accountable. But I think he needs to understand how things come across sometimes. And, you know, with, with Butler, though, in, in Brooklyn, it's interesting. You know, we saw that Brooklyn was one of the teams that were on his list before he was traded. Uh, there was a report from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that basically uh, explained Butler's list a little bit. And it did say that uh, Brooklyn was a little bit lower on the list than some of the other teams that were being mentioned. You know, there were, uh, you know, there were a few different teams that were on there in Brooklyn. I want to say it was his third option. So it's not like that was his top team. And then he ends up in Philly and, you know, Brooklyn is this team that he's like eyeing still and has one foot out the door in Philly. And I do think, you know, Philly is an interesting fit for him. I think he wants to make it work there. I think that if uh, they go on a really deep playoff run, I could see him re-signing in Philly. The Tobias Harris situation is kind of interesting. It makes this uh, kind of more complex there because they may have to lose Tobias. Um, or, I mean, if you obviously lose him better, then you can re-sign Tobias. So he becomes kind of their safety net in case he does leave. Um, so the, the situation in Philly is interesting. I think their playoff, uh, their playoff success is really going to impact their free agency moves and what happens this summer. I think that uh, giving credit for going all in, this is a very talented team on paper. But I do think if this dollar becomes available, I think he's going to weigh all of his options. He's a guy that loves Los Angeles. Uh, anyone that knows his brother knows that the guy loves LA. You know, he has plenty of friends out there. Mark Wahlberg is someone that he's become very close to. And uh, he spends a lot of time in Los Angeles. So, we were thinking about, you know, uh, the Clippers being a possibility, and I know the Clippers are very, very interested in, in, in Butler, along with guys like Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant, obviously. Um, but I also do think, you know, Butler looks at Brooklyn and looks at the New York Knicks, uh, and I think he likes the idea of being the guy there, and then also the idea of teaming up with a second star, you know, whether it's the Kyrie Irving or someone like that, and I think that is appealing to him. So, he, uh, right now in Philadelphia, obviously he has a very talented core around him. And I think uh, I think he is happy there, but I do think you know the situation could change very quickly. There, there's still a lot of time between now and free agency, and, and the playoffs are going to impact this a lot. So if they, if he does leave Philly, I could see him looking at Brooklyn and, and giving them serious consideration. Spencer Dinwiddie said he's going to do everything he possibly can to recruit free agents this summer. Um, I, I think. He wants it to be. He, he wants it to be known to these star players that you know this Brooklyn team is a close knit group uh, that they feel like they're one piece away. This Brooklyn team went from being a team that you know was struggling and you know uh, just trying to fight for a playoff seed and uh, you know not finish near the bottom of the standings to a team that legitimately feels every night they have a chance to win or that they should win. Um, so I think the confidence level is there. You're seeing that you know they're young players. Guys like D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, they've taken that next step in their career and are playing some really good basketball right now. And, you know, I think they'll continue to improve too. They still have a lot of untapped potential. So 
you know, basically that's what that's the way Dinwiddie kind of characterized his pitch uh, to upcoming free agents. That you know they're playing well right now. They should only continue to get better. And then if you add Jimmy Butler and then you know another free agent, let's say, uh, to that mix, then that's a very scary team. And the Eastern Conference team, I think everyone agrees, is wide open. You know, if they were to add uh, a player like Butler uh, and, a, and a second free agent, whether it's a, you know not even a max guy, just a guy that you know adds to their adds to their depth, adds to their uh, rotation, um, you know, they could be right up there with teams like Milwaukee, Toronto, and the you know, Boston. But I think that that could be a really really interesting team. And when you're in Brooklyn, you do get all the benefits to kind of playing in a big market. You know, we we talk about New York and Los Angeles a lot, obviously, but uh, there are a lot of benefits to come playing in Brooklyn. It's an attractive organization right now. Um, I, I really do think at some point in the future, whether it's Butler, uh, whether it's this offseason or not, we're going to see some big name free agent go to Brooklyn. Uh, and, and I think Sean Marsh deserves tons of credit because when he took over this organization as the GM, it was a really bad situation. They had no drastic. They had these horrible contracts that were on the books, and, and he's done a great job of being able to go out and land the ends of the Russell, find the guy in the Russell Center, then with he be able to clear off a lot of these, you know, bad contracts, uh, find players to avert uh, of the diamond and the rough guy late in the first round. He did him so much better, and uh, if you're an expert, he's lost the excited about right now. You talked about the team in my backyard, the team in your backyard, the Atlanta Magic, uh, our ninth place in the NBA's Eastern Conference at 31 and 37. They got Markel Fultz uh, at the trade deadline, and uh, they have to make a decision this summer on Nikola Vucevic. What are your what is your assessment of Markel Fultz in Orlando, and what is your assessment of Nikola Vucevic moving forward with the Orlando Magic this season or next season and beyond? Well, the Markel Fultz situation is so interesting to me because uh, you know I, I want to see the kids do well. I think it's, it's really unfortunate to see what's happening to him. Um, you know, he's obviously been through the ringer and. Um, I think I do think that there obviously are mental aspects to this injury. Um, I don't think he denies that, and he gets frustrated when people talk about it being a non-physical thing. I think it started as a physical thing, and then now there's also mental components. That's the way I look at it. So I think, uh, but I think as long as he's in denial about that, it's gonna be really difficult for him to uh, really address this and return to that same player that we know he can be. Um, I, I think. Right now, you see there's a lot of uh, stigma with mental health. And I think the NBA is doing a good job of trying to battle that. You see guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love and others coming out talking about anxiety and depression and things like that. But, um, you know, Gips is something that we've been seeing in sports for many, many years. And, um, you know, we've seen in baseball, all of a sudden, the guy can't, you know, throw the ball um, from you know, the pitcher's round to, or, or from the pitcher's round to the catcher. Uh, we see guys in golf all of a sudden just lose the ability to play. Um, I really do think that there's a, a gift from an mental component here, and I hope that he can overcome that. Um, I do think that this, you know, TOS rehab, you know, it could be good for him. Maybe, uh, you know, going through this and and uh, and kind of getting a fresh start in Orlando. I think the combination of those things could help him. Uh, I think in Orlando, there's going to be less of, he doesn't really like himself as much. In Philly, everyone wanted to see him step up and, you know, be a starter and be that guy that pushes them over the edge and makes them this contender. In Orlando, there's not going to be a lot of eyes on him. There's not high expectations. Really, you know, being around this magic team, 
my goal is to compete two or three years from now, to be completely honest. You know, they are stockpiling young players uh, like Jonathan Isaac, like Ingrid, and like Mo Bamba. You know, they're bringing these guys that are somewhat project players, and the goal, obviously, is to make playoffs and get them some playoff experience, but no one expects them to make those in the Eastern Conference for quite some time. You know, they're being very patient. Um, and that's going to be, that's kind of the way that they're continuing. For Orlando, I love this move because it's a low-risk, high-risk move. They didn't give up too much for them. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, it's, at the end of the day, you know, you tried. But taking a flyer on a guy that was number one in the world series and was that talented, and it makes sense, especially when you consider the only other point guard they have on the roster is DJ Madison. You know, they're, they're a team that's been searching for a point guard for a while now, and they gave them their different options during the season and look at different trade options. Uh, so to, to have this kind of low-risk, high-reward like, trade for who, I think it makes sense. And, and I'm hoping it's taking things out of Orlando. Again, with less pressure on him and less miles on him, uh, maybe that could be good for him. I think, uh, you know, I want to see him build a confidence back up. And I will say this, too. There was, there was a period there where he was looking better. Over the offseason, he was working with through handling. And, uh, you know, we saw during the offseason, there were times where he looked good through some of the stuff we saw. And early in the season, he actually looked better. I, I thought he was showing, you know, some strides. And I was excited to see, you know, what he could do. Unfortunately, there was some drama behind the scenes that led to him and Drew Hanlon no longer working together. And uh, and then Martel actually went back to the same Kramer that uh, changed his shot mechanics in the first place, which right. I thought was a big mistake. Uh, I, I wasn't a fan of that move. So, um, you know, hopefully in Orlando, you know, they've, they've done a good job of being able to work with guys and improve their shot. We saw that with Nick Vucevic, a guy that was a, a guy, you know, a back-to-the-basket center that never shot threes. All of a sudden now he's a guy that can, you know, shoot out to three-point range and do so very efficiently. Aaron Gordon is other guy that didn't have a three-point shot when he entered the NBA, and they've really worked with him to improve that. So, I mean, I'm hoping the coaching staff in Orlando and uh, and the people in Martell's life can get his shot back and then, again, address this from a mental standpoint as well, just a standpoint. Uh, and then with Vooch, he's been someone that, you know, first of all, I love Vooch. I got to know him over the years of being all that I've and being around him. And uh, I'm so happy for the guys. He's having a good year, putting up the best numbers of his career, uh, right before unrestricted free agency, so he should get a nice payday this summer, wherever he goes, if it's in Renville or elsewhere. He just had his first child with his uh, with his wife in December, so there's a lot to be excited about for him and his family right now. Uh, you know, he's uh, he has so many good things, obviously, uh, you know, being an all-star. There's a so many, so many high points for him this year. Um, and he's the nicest guy, so it's really cool to see him, you know, experience these, these great things. Uh, with, you know, it's interesting, you know, there was, for a while, people were talking about Orlando, and, you know, everyone thought, oh, well, you have to trade Rukovic because both Bomber is the center of the future, and you look at kind of the trajectory that Orlando's on, and, you know, Rukovic is, uh, is an older player when you kind of look at this young core, uh, when you, you know, relatively speaking, he's older. So the thought was that he wouldn't be able to stay long term. They weren't going to resign him. They were going to stay with the deadline, blah, blah, blah. Well, now, you know, you start to hear some talk that maybe, you know, they will resign Vukovic. And especially because he's been such a, you know, a great fit on his feet suffered. He's been, he, he's embraced his role as kind of the leader of the team and the offensively, uh, you know, number one option in this team. Um, and, and he's been so good for everyone on and off the court. 
uh, he's really helped these young guys too and, and really tried to help, you know, them take their game to the next level. And, and he's been there as a veteran presence for them in the locker room and on the court. So now there's been some talk, you know, maybe Luke is the guy that you actually commit to and then Mo Bamba becomes the, the trade mm-hmm. potentially. So that's, that's something that's been going out there. Um, but if you're Orlando, you have to resign Luke, I think. If you lose Luke, you are in a lot of trouble because this is a magic team that has lost so many pieces over the last five, six, seven years. You know, they, they traded away Victor Ladipo and that Serge Ibaka trade, and uh, they got half a year of Serge Ibaka. So uh, you, you traded away Oladipo and Sabonis uh, for, uh, for, for Serge Ibaka, who ended up just getting you Terrence Ross. Uh, you traded away Malik Ruthless for a pick that never conveyed. You traded away Ferris for Ursina Yusuba and Brandon Jennings, who both left the following summer. You know, you just look at all the moves the Magic have made. And it's not on this current game. That was Rob Hennigan. Um, but you look around the NBA now and you think, man, this is Ruthless, Tobias Harris, Maurice Hartless, uh, you know, all these different guys that just a bonus. All these guys that are making a big impact on their team. And we wonder, you know, Orlando could have had these guys, or at the very least, they could have had a decent return in those trades. Instead, they really have nothing to show for those guys. So that's where it's kind of scary. If they do lose losers for nothing, then all of a sudden, you know, you add in the list of players that, you know, walked away from Orlando without getting anything in return. And that's just super frustrating. You can't lose assets like that in the NBA and be a good team. So uh, it's going to be an interesting summer. I think Luke is going to have a really. He's going to have a lot of interest from a number of different teams. I think he's, I was talking to Luke about this. He's very comfortable in Orlando. He loves it here. His wife loves it here. Um, he likes the idea of raising his child here. So there is a possibility that he stays in Orlando. I think the Magic understand that too. They're, they're pretty comfortable with that they have a shot to keep him. But uh, if something changes and he were to leave because he wants to value, you know, prioritize winning uh, at this point in his career, which would be understandable at his age. Uh, that's a, a really bad blow to the magic because they've already lost way too many guys that are contributors elsewhere. Scoopy Ray on the line with Alex Kennedy talking NBA at Orlando. Uh, a whole game in here. One thing that I um, found interesting um, is how much people have kind of slept on Trey Young because of Luca Doncic being so popular. Uh, for those who are tied to the party, Trey Young averaged 23.3 points, 9.3 assists, and 4.3 rebounds, and 3.23 on 43.7% shooting in February. I reached your article in March 10th. You guys can check that out on newsheads.com. Alex actually spoke with Trey Young, and Trey Young told Alex that Atlanta is going to be a big spot free agents to look at. My first question to you is, do you think that Trey has a shot at the, at the Rookie of the Year award? Or do you think that that's Luka Doncic locking it up? I think Luke is going to win it. You know, I've, I've seen now uh, for many years how voters kind of uh, go about it. And I think typically they make their mind up uh, in the middle of the season. And, you know, fair or not, uh, I've seen that happen quite often where, you know, it's Luca, you know, they'll, they'll look at a guy like Luke and what he's been able to do. And not only the fact that he's, you know, putting up these monster numbers, his stats are incredible, by the way. I don't want to take away anything from Luca, but. Uh, it's the way he's playing, too. The way he's energized that franchise. That franchise. Uh, he's still starting to watch. He's playing a number of pitch performances, which always helps. Um, you know, I think voters are going to look at it and think, oh, yeah, Luca has to be rookie this year. 
Um, and then a guy like Trey Young, you know, over his February, he's been phenomenal. And he's putting out great numbers. He's shooting the ball really well. But I think those early season struggles, you know, he even mentioned it in the interview, he shot 19.8% from three-point range uh, in November. And I think, uh, you know, that kind of stuck with some of the voters. You know, if you look at Luca and they're going to look at Luca and think, oh, he's been playing well all year. Craig has had this, you know, recent sprint where he's turned things around and he's starting to play well. So I, I do think that Luca's is going to be rookie of the year. I think, uh, you know, it should be more of a more of a conversation. Craig should get some more love in that debate. Um, you know, his percentages are still pretty low. And, uh, and I think uh, Luca does deserve it. Uh, but Trey, Trey deserves some more love. He, he deserves to be, he, he's not, I'll say this, he's not going to be as close as it should be. Um, but he's having a phenomenal year. And, uh, and I think what you've seen over the past, you know, two months from him, I think that's really more indicative of who he's going to be as a pro going forward mm. than the, the early season struggles we saw from him. Do you see his point of view uh, when he believes that Atlanta will be an attractive destination for players in the offseason. I don't know if it's going to be this offseason, but I think I see what he's saying. So basically, you know, I was talking to him about just this this uh, this team and the potential they have and how exciting it is. And a guy like Trey Young, you know, he's a perfect for today's NBA because he can knock down threes, he uh, has a ton of potential, you know, he can pull up from anywhere, uh, and then he creates so many opportunities for others. You know, his passion is really underrated. He's second in the NBA right now in total assists. We're starting to get shot a lot. Uh, I think he's shooting in his offense. You know, it, it's uh, what everyone knows him for. Uh, but he's a fantastic passer as well. He creates so many opportunities for his teammates. So um, you can always make think guys who want to play with, but since he is a really good facilitator, and he's doing this as a rookie, you know, uh, in the last seven years, only one player has averaged assists per game as a rookie that he had, and that was Ben Simmons. And so, I mean, he, he's a guy that uh, is a really good distributor on top of being a great three-point shooter and a great scorer. So I think, uh, and, and actually, you know, he doesn't get the sense this year. He's really going to finish at the rim. If you look at uh, center support, which kind of tracks all the different uh, play pitch that guys, uh, you know, do early season, He's, uh, he was the second most effective floater in the NBA already as a rookie. Um, so the guy is finishing at the rim. He's knocking down three. He's, you know, averaging, uh, you know, a really impressive number of assists and getting his teammates involved. And then you look at some of the pieces around him. You know, John Collins has been amazing. Mm-hmm. He's been dominating glass. He's been getting better offensively. He's been improving defensively. He's still so young. Um, Torian Prince is a guy that, you know, has shown you know, he's not your number one option, but as a number of three option, uh, a guy that can, you know, uh, really contribute. He's a guy that's playing really well. Kevin Hoger there, the other draft uh, uh, alongside Trey Young in this past draft. You know, he's another excellent shooter. People made the, the play caution comparison for him. And obviously, you know, he has a way to go to improve you know, and, and, you know, be able to uh, become, you know, you know an effective in this, in this league, but he's a very good shooter. He has all of the uh, physical abilities and athletic abilities and defense abilities to, to be effective. So I think, uh, you know, this summer you're not going to see a team 
you're not going to see a big name free agent pick Atlanta. I'll, I'll say that right now. But this summer, Atlanta has a, a high draft pick. You know, let's say they let, let's say they land Zion Williamson. Let's say they land RJ Barrett. And all of a sudden, there's a really hard to imagine. You know, one, two, three years from now, um, a free agent saying, "Hey, I'm going to go play with Trey Zion, John Collins." I mean, that's an attractive core. We know Atlanta as a city. You know, in the past, there's not just people talking free agents. They got Joe Johnson on that ridiculous contract, obviously. But uh, you know, they had some trouble attracting free agents in the past when they had you know. Um, you know, and Josh Smith and Jeff Hughes and that whole group. But, you know, this is a very different group. This is a very different NCAA as well. If you're a, uh, and, you know, back there, I think it was more about destination and market. Uh, a lot of guys that are in the NBA that try to tell you that, you know, a team like Atlanta had to overpay to be able mm-hmm. to compete with, you know, New York and LA and some of the other markets. It's that was more about winning. You can sell from anywhere with social media. You know, it's really about winning and you're supporting that. If they're able to land a guy like Zion or RJ Barrett, uh, you have Trey Young, he's able to maximize his full potential and become the kind of self shooting, you know, elite point guard that we think he could be. Uh, and then John Collins continues to dominate and become the sports down low. Then, yeah, I think we're used now. I see a variation saying this Atlanta team is really good. We also see Atlanta now in, you know, in pop culture. Atlanta is just so dominant uh, from a music scene. Um, there's so many creators are coming out of there. Um, it's an exciting time to be in Atlanta and around that city. Um, a lot of a lot of players are close with you know the different musicians and actors. You know, guys like Donald Glover and people like that that come out of Atlanta. So there's a lot there's a lot to be excited about Atlanta right now in the city. A lot to be excited about uh, from a team standpoint, a potential standpoint. So yeah, I, mean, I totally understand Trey's uh, you know Trey, Trey's comment. And they, they, look, I'm not a campaign guy, but I'm a really good recruiter. Okay, you need to as well. Oh yeah, they got. Listen, man, they have Tyler Perry, the and Cardi B as Georgia residents out there. <laughs> yeah, those those not. I mean, they're gonna be they're they're definitely gonna be attractive to. I mean, we know guys love Atlanta too. Guys, you know, guys want to go to Atlanta during the season. They want to hang out there. When they're on a road trip, they have a great time. You know, but I. I I think Atlanta is going to surprise the people in the next few years where, you know, it's one of those cities that you're not going to share a lot. You know, we talk about the New York, the Brooklyn, the LA. You know, if this young core can come together and uh, and really develop the way we think they can, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a free agent say, I'm going to go to Atlanta and try to, you know, push them over the top and be that, that guy that takes them to that level. Alex, does it surprise you that it's almost April? We're talking about the Clippers going to the playoffs and not the Lakers. Yeah, honestly, you know, it just seems so weird with LeBron James not being in the playoffs. You know, I, I said I was talking about the last time LeBron James wasn't in the playoffs, uh, you know, won it by Chris Brown and Gold Digger by Kanye West or out. Uh, you know, you had uh, the Facebook series. You know, Facebook was still the Facebook, and it was only available to college students. YouTube was four months old. Um, movies like Revenge of the Sith, you know, the Star Wars movie, that hasn't even come out yet. Um, it, it's weird. It really is weird. Uh, I think we're so used to seeing LeBron in the playoffs. And you see him, you know, in Cleveland, there were so many times where even if he had a poor supporting cast, he was able to carry that team to the playoffs and then, mm-hmm. you know, try them advance. Uh, you look at the, the team he was able to carry to the uh, the NBA finals against the San Antonio Spurs early in his career. 
you know, that team has a little bit of a feeling uh, in the NBA Finals. Um, he's always been there. And so it's really surprising that we're talking about the Clippers and not the Lakers. Especially because, too, I think it's really here, people weren't really talking about the Clippers as being a playoff team. You know, every everything that we heard about the Clippers this summer, you know, they, they made the Blake Griffin trade. They got rid of DeAndre Jordan. Obviously, Chris Paul went to the, uh, the Houston Rockets the previous summer. Everything that, you know, we were hearing about the Clippers was, oh, they're preparing for a rebuild. They're bringing in, you know, Jerry West and some other really smart people. And the goal eventually is to land a free agent like Kawhi Leonard or Jimmy Butler or Kevin Durant. It was all about, you know, uh, recruiting guys down the road. It wasn't about this season. Then all of a sudden you have, you know, a number of guys step up. Then we got Ali having the best season of his career now that he's playing healthy. Tobias Harris before the trade. Playing almost at an all-star caliber level. I think a lot of people are really, you know, he could have been an all-star. People wouldn't have been mad. Um, you know, they've made some of the young guys really step up and play really well. This Clippers team has done a fantastic job. Scott Rivers deserves a lot of credit for uh, the job he's done. I think one thing that people aren't really talking about enough is that, you know, that uh, whenever you are a, a head coach but also has front office duty, it's very difficult. There's a reason that's, uh, you know, those, those are two different jobs. There's a lot of job responsibilities that come with, you know, running the front office and being a head coach. And I think it's just one of those things where you have to have very different, um, you have to think very differently when you're a head coach versus when you're running the front office. There, there, when you are, you know, president of basketball operations or general manager, you have to think long-term. You have to be able to sacrifice some uh, some losses for the good of the team, you know, two or three years down the road. You have to focus on, um, you know, developing young players versus, you know, constantly going with win-now options. There, it's, it's, it's one of those jobs where I think it's best. I think we've learned now that, you know, now that basically every single play, every single coach that's had the dual position, uh, you know, that's been taken away from them, whether it was Tom Thibodeau or, you know, uh, others around the NBA, Stan Van Gundy, you know, it really hasn't worked out whenever we've seen a coach. Uh, it is trying to, you know, do both both jobs. I think now Doc Rivers is really enjoying being able to just coach again and not have to worry about that stuff because uh, it, it, it is very difficult. And then the, uh, the front office there has done a fantastic job, too. You know, they, they really did a job of changing that culture and making some smart moves over the offseason. You know, Montrez Harold may have been one of the biggest deals of last offseason. Uh, they, they've really, you know, they, they've done a really good job in L.A. Uh, and in the Lakers, you know, as I mentioned, I guess my thing is I'm not very surprised that they've struggled. I thought for sure they'd be a playoff team. I'll say that. I thought they'd be at least the eighth seed in the Western Conference. But as I mentioned, you know, I was one of the people that over last offseason was really criticizing the way they built this roster. You have a blueprint. You know you surround him with shooters, and you know it, it, it and it's going to work. You, know, you want to create space for him so he can drive, and you want to knock down, you know, catch and shoot opportunities. And then when they went out there and they brought in to the Lombardi, Don Rondo, it just didn't make any sense to me. I did not understand what they were doing because these are guys that have struggled shooting the ball. And I know, you know, early on we heard the, uh, the argument was, oh, we want to take the ball out of LeBron's hands and make him, uh, you know, have him play on screen and, and surround him with playmakers. But that didn't make any sense to me, especially because a month before when LeBron James had lost in the finals after J.R. Smith had his, you know, blue head mistake, he said, mm-hmm. I want to play with 
You said, I want to be with high IQ players this summer. That's the most important thing to me. And you bring in Lance Stevenson, Javel McGee, Michael Beasley. I mean, you just, I, I, from the very start, felt like the Lakers were making very, very poor decisions in free agency, especially if you look at the guys they like, oh, Brooke Lopez, who's been amazing for Milwaukee on a $3.3 million deal. I talked to Brooke right after he signed Milwaukee. He wanted to stay with the Lakers. You know, Julius Randle got a cheap one-year prove-it deal, basically, with the New Orleans Pelicans, and he's been having a monster year in New Orleans. You know, the guys that they were willing to let go to bring in Rondo and Beasley and Javale, I mean, it just didn't make sense to me. So, um, as much as I'm surprised that LeBron isn't going to be in the playoffs, and as much as I'm surprised by the Super success, uh, you look back at that Lakers offseason, and I guess we probably should have seen this coming, because you know, that team was, from the very start, that team was built to fail because the pieces didn't fit together. People want to play and lose one now, but that team just did not make any sense from a roster construction standpoint. I was kidding in the line of Alex, I wanted to get your assessment of this. Um, earlier this week, Russell Westbrook uh, got into a verbal uh, sparring with a fan in Utah. Uh, basically got on camera, caught on camera saying, I'll ask you up. Uh, the video went viral on Monday. The clip showed him shouting out expletives at a couple of, uh, a, a couple, you know. And so I tell you, I've spoken about it on Twitter. I'm black, you're white. I know I have a point of view. I know you have a point of view. What do you make of not only what Russell Westbrook said, but also just the safety of, of players and, and also just fans getting into verbal matches with players. What did you make of what happened on Monday? Well, I think it was, you know, interesting the way that the, that everyone handled it. First of all, the Utah Jazz, they handed out the uh, warning cards, but no one got ejected. And I think that was a mistake. I think he needed to de-escalate that situation. And so uh, it doesn't get worse. You know, Russell Westbrook, as much as people want to criticize him for, you know, screaming back at the phone, and then, yeah, he shouldn't make a comment about saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll beat up your wife, too, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that in that situation, if a fan is saying certain things, and, you know, we, we now know the fan was, you know, making comments about him getting on his knees, and uh, Patrick Patterson, another teammate, were saying he was also making comments about his family and his kids. I mean, it, that crosses the line, and that's going to upset God. I mean, as much as I think, I think people need to put themselves in Russell Westbrook's shoes, too. You know, if you're in that position and people are saying those kind of things to you, you know, it's easy to say to the fan, oh, he's going to be a player. He needs to restrain himself and, you know, uh, don't take the bait. That's very hard to do when people are, you know, constantly making those kind of comments at you and, uh, and saying certain things that are constantly lying. And also, if you have a history with Utah, we see, you know, now there's video coming out where there was a fan yelling at him last year, calling him a boy. And last year, it was extremely, it was extremely, I think he it extremely well. He said, don't call me boy. Basically said, like, look, you know, I'm fine with the stuff talking. That crosses line. And then a second later, the guy yells boy again. And, you know, Russ basically, whatever the security guard, pointed the guy out and nothing happened. So I think, I think Russ in Utah obviously has some frustration and history there where he knows, okay, these fans are going to say certain things. They're going to cross the line. And, you know, I don't blame him for going off on that fan. I think it was ridiculous that after the game, the fan was doing a, uh, uh, an interview on TV saying, oh, I was just telling the ICC and things like that. And I'm so glad that that idiot uh, Twitter account 
was uh, publicized because everyone saw the despicable things that he was saying. Uh, because, you know, really, had that not happened, if the he said, he said, uh, versus, you know, he said, versus he said type thing, and, you know, people aren't really sure what happened. Unfortunately, when you're Russell Westbrook, your side of the altercation or the confrontation is going to be filmed, and everyone's going to criticize and nitpick everything you said. But then whenever it's the fan, you know, no one's, no one's recording the fan and what he's saying and his part. Um, so we have to just go off of what Russ and, the, and his teammates were saying. I think it, it, I think the NBA is trying to do a better job um, protecting these players. Uh, it's something that's been going on for a long time, you know, and, and certainly it happens more in certain cities than others. Utah has been a city that, you know, over the years, players have talked about you know, hearing the N-word or being called Gucci uh, or, or things like that, or being called boy. I mean, there are, are a lot of there are a lot of times where uh, players have said that, you know, Utah is the toughest place to play in because they have to deal with those kind of things. And so I think, first of all, NBA players, I, I think, deserve more credit for the restraints they've seen. Um, you know, we, we see some of their blow-ups and things like that, but... Um, I can't imagine being in that position, and I, I think I'd have a much harder time than uh, some of these players, uh, you know, holding back. So um, I give him credit for you know holding back. Yeah, he shouldn't make a comment about you know uh, all mess up your wife. Uh, I think that was a key moment in where he was frustrated. He apparently was repeating everything the husband was saying. So you know, he basically was just saying, you know, look, I'll, I'll come out those two guys. I don't think he meant it. Obviously, he's one of the guys that go out there and, you know, beat up a woman. I think he was just, you know, he's a moment, you know, yelling and frustrated and trying to trade bars with the guy. Um, but no, I mean, I think the NBA, these players, first of all, in the NFL, for example, you know, you have a lot of space between the, the, uh, the stands and the sidelines and the field. Um, you know, there are times where, uh, you're never going to even come in contact with an NFL fan if you're an NFL player. And yeah, sometimes guys go over and they'll chat with, you know, guys that are, you know, sitting really close and, and they'll start, you know, taunting back and forth. And we've seen NFL fans actually throwing things and that's obviously its own issue. But the game is so, is so unique in that, you know, a, a player could end up courtside on a fan's lap or diving into fans and surrounded by these fans all of a sudden. So, that's where I think if you're a player, you know, you don't know who these people are. You don't, they're making racial comments. They're making derogatory comments. They're talking about your, your baby. I mean, I, I think I totally understand your most of frustration. And I understand my players going from a secure standpoint where, you know, obviously, you know, these guys don't have weapons or anything like that. The NBA does a good job of, you know, uh, you know, checking to make sure, uh, you know, everyone goes through a metal detector and everyone's checked before games and things like that. But as a, as a player, you're in a hostile environment. You don't know what you are capable of. Just a week ago, there was a, there was a kid that Russell Westbrook, you know, he, he was inbounding the ball, and, and the kid smacked him. I mean, and if a kid, so if it's generating nearly as much interest or uh, as much, you know, conversation because it was a kid, but, you know, for a fan to feel like, hey, I paid for my courtside ticket, I can hit this guy. You know, it's just, it's just, it blows my mind. And I think, again, it goes back to these fans don't view these NBA players as people. You know, they feel mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a video game. Oh, you know, this is a fantasy, football, you know, a fantasy basketball type thing where I'm going to talk to a guy, you know, especially a staff, if I can't 
And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't affect him at all. No, he doesn't do with emotion. You look at people with families. If you hit Russell Westbrook, he is going to turn to you and hurt you and, and respond negatively. I mean, it's just, I, I think that's not part of it. People don't realize these guys are doing one thing. Uh, and I think the NBA is trying to do a job, you know, with these, uh, with these warning cards. You know, if a guy gets a warning card, then he continues to harass the guy and get ejected. I, I would like to see guys get ejected even quicker, to be completely honest with you. Um, I think in the 90s and early 2000s, we had a lot more racial tones. Uh, and that was something that a lot of players would talk about. I think that's being put down right now because if that happens, a guy's going to get ejected right away. And most likely, he's permanently banned from the arena. Um, so the NBA is taking steps to protect players and make them feel better. Um, so I think that's 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 pretty the key. Um, obviously, we, there's still situations like this that arise where uh, we see how much can still be improved, and uh, and the NBA is obviously going to try to learn from that. Um, and I think Russell Westbrook getting a twenty-five thousand dollars fine, you know, that was kind of I, I wasn't sure how I felt about that aspect of it. Yeah, I think they basically felt he crossed the line with his comment about the wife, so maybe that's why they gave him a $5,000 fine. So, you know, I think it was handled pretty well by all parties involved. The guys investigated it, they haven't got to life from all different, uh, not even just jazz games, but new events at the arena, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, so, it was nice to see that AJ get exposed. Um, Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, obviously shouldn't have crossed the line with some of the stuff he said, but. I totally understand where these players are coming from and where that frustration comes from. Last question. You started young. Uh, you're still going. You have a podcast. You're writing. You're appearing on television more and more. What's one dream project that you have that you haven't started yet? One great project. So I've always wanted to write a book. Um, I'm very happy with everything I'm doing right now. Uh, the podcast is something that I, I love and it's been really fun to to grow that, and I get I get a rush from trying to book different guests and things like that. So being able to have you know Kobe Bryant or Kurt Abdul-Jabbar uh, or later this week we're having Gilbert Arenas on the podcast. You know I get I get a rush from being able to get those guys on the podcast, and then it's so fun to pick their brain. Um, I love writing. Writing my number one, uh, you know, it's my favorite thing. It's it's the it's my biggest priority. You know, as much as the podcast grows and as much as I've done more video and TV type stuff. I've always loved writing. That's why I got into this. So to be able to write long form articles for Hoopsype and uh, things like that, it's been a dream come true. And I would honestly love to work with Hoopsite for the rest of my life. I tell people that, you know, it's a, it's my dream job. They've been amazing to me. Um, they let me write about what I want to write about. Uh, and and it's just, you know, I grew up reading Hoopsite. So and, and there's so many players and executives I talk to that say the same thing. You know, Hoopsite is just, um, it, it, you know, everyone, it, it's ubiquitous. And uh, I, I would be completely happy to see my career with Hoopsite. Um, but one project I haven't been able to start yet is that book. You know, I, I, I write a lot of behind-the-scenes type uh, type articles for Hoopsite where I feel about the certain And, um, you know, there have been a few different times where I've talked to publishers and, and agents and things like that about uh, different books. So one idea I had was following uh, five different players from the point when they were uh, a sophomore or junior in high school, when they started really getting kind of uh, national recognition and kind of blowing up and turning over the course of a few years to their rookie or sophomore season in the NBA and showing what that's like and how these guys 
you know, deal with that, how they mature, how their life changes. Uh, it's it's a crazy period for these guys where, you know, you go from, you know, you're making tons of sacrifices to make that dream come true, and then, you know, finally your, your, your hoop dream becomes your reality, and I find that process so interesting. So that was something I talked about, and I got commitments from several players that ended up being lottery picks, but then that didn't work out. It was a timing issue. Um, I've also talked about, you know, doing a book where basically each chapter looks at a different um, process or something NBA-related where we do a behind-the-scenes look at what happens. So kind of like I do at Hoopsite where, you know, what happens in a free agency pitch meeting? Uh, so, you know, going into some of these pitch meetings and being able to chronicle what happens, and, you know, that'll be one chapter. And then the next chapter is what's it like to be in a, you know, draft war room as, you know, executives are kind of making their decisions and working with ones and things like that. You know, the next chapter would be uh, whenever a guy is making his free agency decision, uh, who are the people that are involved in, you know, what's happening and, uh, and what factors are you considering? Just kind of peeling back the curtain, because really, one of the things that we've is we have diehard NBA fans. You know, they know every single player on the roster. They know uh, how all these things work. So they want even more information. So I, I, I really have, a, I really enjoy telling the behind-the-scenes of information and, and stories and anecdotes. So uh, any book I do is going to be something that uh, really takes people behind that curtain so they can see what that lifestyle is like, the pros and the cons of it. Um, so whether it's you know following some of these guys as they achieve their dream and, and become NBA players, or you know breaking it up and doing you know each chapter on a different NBA process or NBA-related topic and showing here's exactly what it's like behind the scenes, I think that would be a lot of fun. So that's the project I haven't gotten off the ground yet. Um, it's really hard to sit down and write a book. You know, there's there's so many things going on, and there's never really a good time to start a book. That's what everyone tells me. So I would love to do it, uh, and it is something that's in my bucket list, but it's just one of those things where uh, the timing has to be right, uh, the situation has to be right, and I would need the right commitments from uh, players and agents and executives so that I could get that kind of access. But I wouldn't want to half ass it. You know, I want to make sure if I do it that, you know, there's really interesting stories in there and, uh, and people can actually uh, see exactly what happens. Uh, you know, in those moments that fans don't typically get to uh, experience. So, uh, you know, I think that's the thing, but I'm still waiting until someday that can happen. I would suggest to you self-publishing and hiring local college kids as your interns to di- to write what you're dictating. Yeah, honestly, and actually, this is something I'll throw out there right now. I'm actually uh, in the process of looking for an intern. For, uh, for transcription and things like that. Like, you know, almost, uh, 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 it's something that even without writing the book, I, I'm talking about this uh, with my editors. Uh, we, we do so many long-form articles that are 5,000, 6,000 words long, and we do so many Q&As where we're pumping out content. We're also in our stories to transcribe some of our podcasts, you know, like the Korean Georgia Box podcast that we talked about. We're going to transcribe it and write it as a Q&A on the site. Because we understand there's people out there that, you know, they don't want to consume a podcast. They want to read. Uh, it's just, you know, they want their information uh, handed in differently. So uh, I'm actually in the process of looking for an intern that would, you know, be able to transcribe audio and and, uh, and something like that. So um, that, that's a start. And uh, it would definitely take, it would definitely, I would definitely need help. I would need 
editor. Um, I would meet some different people that were involved. And again, I would meet the developers, the players, the agents, and executives that would give me the kind of access to make the book interesting. Um, so it's something that, you know, it's not anything I have in the works at the moment. It's something that, again, I've talked to people about it before, and there's been conversations about it. Um, hopefully it happens someday. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I think it'd be, it'd be really cool. It'd be a lot of fun to do. You heard it first. Alex Kennedy, thank you so much for being gracious with your time. You could have been in the room, but you're here with us, and I appreciate you, man. Well, keep doing your thing, man. It's been fun watching you be able to blow you up and, and you know, get the attention you deserve. It's always fun talking to you, so I appreciate you having me, man. Keep doing your thing. Yes, sir. Scoop Radio. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 